I want to welcome back everyone to our fourth and penultimate talk here as we explore, continue to explore the theme of the heart as home. So why don't we go ahead and begin with a prayer as we usually do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Amen. Of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so we are coming to something which I think is, is pretty central to our discussion. We'll be talking about the heart as a home and how we can understand that. Challenges for allowing others into our hearts or allowing ourselves to be received and welcomed into the hearts of others. Looking uh, earlier, right before this talk, at Jesus's heart as a home, Mary's heart as a home, and what we can understand better about the sacred and the immaculate hearts. And then we are now moving um, to today's topic. But there's one thing I do want to sort of bring up. I mentioned a little bit about deep calling on to deep uh, or calling unto deep. And, and this is something that really describes the, the resonance of two hearts with each other, but really describes our Lord's heart. I mean, think of it. Jesus's heart and his love for humanity and for creation it's like the vastest ocean. There's no one or no other heart, not even his, his mother's heart, that could respond adequately to his love. And so you can really kind of see the Eucharist as that pouring out of his love, a super abundance. And even though we receive his love, we receive his heart, there's no way that we can contain it all. It's like the baskets of the multiplication of the loaves. There's always left over. And so <clears throat> as beautiful as that is, uh, when you look at the, the reciprocity side, there's really not going to be anyone, any created being, that can reciprocate, that can love Jesus back at the same degree. He's happy to receive whatever he can. He, he thirsts for our love. But still, there must have been a sense of isolation, alienation, as he gives himself completely, but there's no one really able to receive that and return it adequately. And keeping that in mind, though, he still continues to give and we still continue to receive. And so prayer then becomes that core ad core locutor, the heart speaking to heart, or us entering into the heart of Christ, there to be purified, there to find rest, there to find a home. And of course, as we talked about, that home really being the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, the Father's house. So we encounter the Father in the heart of Jesus. And so what I want to do today is, is, as I mentioned in the previous talk, is to explore this a bit, particularly in the, the most precise way and the most powerful way that we can encounter the love of the Father in the heart of Christ, and that is through prayer. I do a fair amount of retreats and missions, and I talk a fair bit about prayer. And one of the things that I want to do, or always try to do, is to emphasize how we, as practicing Catholics, as those who are really trying to grow deeper in our faith, need a renewed understanding of the essence of prayer, and what prayer is at its very center, at its very core. Because I see as a chaplain at a college campus, as someone who does a lot of spiritual direction, 
I see a lot of people who are well-intentioned really struggling with prayer. Um, and their prayer life is causing them a lot of stress. And I think to a degree, a lot of unneeded stress. And that's for different reasons. One of the main ones is something I give a lot of talks on is that people feel that they're not doing enough, that they are not being productive in prayer, that ultimately they're not praying well. And so my question is always, well, what standard are you judging your prayer by? How do you know you're not praying well? How do you know you're not doing enough? Um, why is it that there has <clears throat> got to be this, this, this criterion of productivity like we have in the world to our prayer life? A number of them also sort of say that they feel that God is challenging them in prayer. God becomes kind of like this coach who's always challenging us to get better, always encouraging us, not a caring and loving father, but as, you know, some sort of a swim coach or a soccer coach. And as a result, prayer gets kind of tired. They feel like they're always being challenged and never get a chance to really rest and just to be with the Father. Um, also, a lot of them, and this is different, and it's something that I'd like to explore in a different talk, uh, people looking for an experience in prayer. You know, I want to experience something to get some sort of feeling or some revelation. And when they don't, they feel that, that God is either not there or somehow their prayer is not adequate. We can also see that a lot of people sort of see their prayer as transactional. Well, here, I'm praying, I'm asking for something, and I expect God to return it to me. He becomes sort of like a genie in a bottle. And this is sort of very, let's say, consumeristic approach to prayer, where if I give you something, some money, I expect a product back. And, and, and of course, we could say that's God is not a genie in a bottle. And to take that transactional approach, which I think is sort of infused by a consumeristic mentality, is a false attitude towards prayer. And thus, as a result, we don't get something back in return. We feel our prayer is not good. We also have a lot of people who, for the sake of a better phrase, don't really pray, but are just saying prayers. They're reciting their vocal prayers, saying the rosary, doing a litany. It's not that this is a bad thing. But there's no real substance, no heart to their prayer. And as a result, it becomes something just rote and boring. And after a while, they sort of give up because it is not life-giving. It's hollow. It's not establishing a relationship. And then finally, and, and probably the one that I hear the most often is people say, well, they are so distracted. Their mind's everywhere that their prayer is not good. It's not going to somehow be a prayer or a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. Now, I'm not going to go over all of these different struggles that people have with prayer. <clears throat> could do that in a different talk. Um, but I want to sort of counter these by proposing a different definition of prayer that is connected to our understanding of the heart is a home, and particularly uh, Christ's heart is that home where we can encounter the love of the Father. Now, just a caveat, I am not saying, please, I'm not saying that novenas are bad or praying, you know, rosaries or different litanies are bad. No, these are all important. What I'm talking about is 
establishing a foundation. What's the essence of our prayer? And so that we can build our devotionals and our different sort of practices, our meditation on top of that. But if we don't get the heart of what prayer really is, then all those other things become just sort of vacuous and eventually become more of a burden and a chore um, than something which is life-giving. And so there are so many different definitions of prayer that we can read in the spiritual masters, you can read in the catechism. But the best definition of prayer that I have ever encountered is this. That prayer, yes, we can call it a conversation, a surge of the heart, a relationship, talking to God. Prayer is letting yourself be loved by God. And its essence, prayer is letting yourself be loved by God. Now, for me, this definition was inspired by one of the last uh, writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, where she's writing to her mother of her order, I think it's the prioress, if I'm not mistaken. And she's encouraging her to let herself be loved by God more than others. And so while that would be another topic for another talk or discussion, it gets to the heart of what prayer really is. It's allowing ourselves to be loved by God. And for me, the understanding of this phrase is rooted in what we've been talking about, about home, about the heart of the Father, because it is there in the home where we can rest, where we can be with the Father, that we can allow ourselves most easily to be loved by him. There's no need for uh, to be challenged to do better. There's no need for some transactional approach. There's no need to be productive. When we come into the home of the Father, we can just rest. It's at Bethany. We can be present to him. We can rest in his embrace. And so from that, if we can understand that that's what prayer is, of resting in the heart of the Father, of allowing ourselves to be loved by Him, we realize that prayer is not anything that we do. Um, it's not a bunch of activity. It's not our own production. But instead, it's about being fundamentally. I'm not saying we don't do rosaries or do meditation, but it's about being with the Father, being with the Lord, and allowing him to love us. It's beyond any sort of method or any sort of rule that we can follow and hope to make some progress. No, you, you just make progress and the more that you learn to just be instead of doing and being as you are. Granted, we are always wanting to be transformed and to grow in virtue and holiness, but the Lord still loves us where we are and it's that love rather than some sort of a coach encouraging us or pushing us forward that leads to the trans transition, to the transformation, at times even when we do not realize it. We also realize that, you know, there's nothing to give in prayer. We're there to receive. When we come home, the Father doesn't expect gifts. He doesn't expect things from us. Instead, he wants to provide for us. He wants to love us. He wants to give. 
And it's our responsibility, or not say responsibility, it's our, our joy to be able to receive. Now, of course, we've talked about already how difficult it is for all of us to be able to receive because it means vulnerability, it means losing control. But still, prayer is about receiving from God. There's, there's nothing we can give to him. He has everything. He is everything. And then finally, as important as meditation might be and reflecting on the scriptures, prayer is more about loving than about thinking, more about the heart than about the head, um, allowing ourselves to be loved. Not, not just emotions here. We're not just looking for some experiences, we said. You can't just say, well, I'm in a relationship with you, and if I don't experience some good feelings, then the relationship doesn't exist. That's false that we are there to have that union of the will, to say, Lord, I'm here, I might be distracted, I might be terrible, but I want to be in your presence because I know that you want to be with me. You want me to be able to rest there with you and to be recreated. And there's so much more that we can talk about this, and I've given a number of different retreats and missions on it, but the fundamental issue is that we struggle with prayer and allowing ourselves to be loved and received by the Father in, in his home because we struggle with seeing God as a Father. Not just as a Father as one who generates us, who brings forth life, but as a loving Father, as a merciful Father who knows us, who protects us, who wants us to flourish, who is willing to look upon us with a loving gaze. So often, if we do see him, even as a father, he's detached. He's that deadbeat dad. He's the one who's always traveling or somehow emotionally distant and not really connected to us. And I see this in a lot in people's lives who come from broken families or dads that are, are broken themselves and are not able to really truly be present emotionally and spiritually. It conditions their understanding of who God the Father is. Many, though, see God as sort of a, a, a tyrant, very demanding, um, that coach or the one who's always there ready to judge us and if we make a mistake to condemn us. Now, most of the time, this attitude or this understanding of who God is and how it affects our own spiritual life comes from our family of origins, but come from sort of cultural influences or other things like that. But it's all wrong. It's all wrong. And those who have the deeper prayer life are those who are the ones who really know God as a loving father who've experienced in some way that embrace of the Father, the embrace, his merciful love, like the prodigal son in the, the parable of the prodigal son, that, that merciful love that changes and transforms and solidifies them in their identity. But, but you can know this in your head, but it has to, to move to your heart. Um, and yes, indeed, some people do have this experience when they are praying, and have this deep, infused experience or knowledge of the love of the Father. But most often, it's going to happen through other people, primarily through their own earthly father or parents, who are supposed to be that conduit, the reflection of the love of God the Father, 
but it could also be through friends or other family members, through a teacher, through a priest, maybe even through a coach. And that individual mediates the love and that tender affection of God the Father. <clears throat> and this is something where you could reflect on, on what are some of the main qualities or characteristics. God is not a pushover. The Father's not a pushover. He wants what's best for his child. And so, yes, by loving the child, there's this encouragement that builds the child up. But one of the necessary elements that we don't often think about of that love is there's a tenderness to it. The father, even in the child's weakest spot, when the child is the most hurt, the most injured, he's not waiting there to condemn or to judge, but indeed to heal the wounds, to bind, and to be able to raise up. And as, as, as one grows in the relationship with the father, uh, the father then, just like I guess a mother too, becomes a friend. There becomes a deeper bond, a deeper trust, a deeper sharing of hearts. And so we should be able to see, yes, God is our father, but also is a friend. And we can, a lot of people, I think, see Jesus as a friend or able to experience that. Where we come to our friend, we come to our father, even though we may be disheveled, we may be in the, in the worst mood possible, that our friend doesn't say, oh, you can't, you can't be here. I can only talk to you when you're perfect, when you're feeling great, when you're on cloud nine. No, we're always accepted as we are. And it's that being received, a feeling that we're home and we're loved as we are, that ability to rest, of being safe from the chaos of the outside world, that we can find recreation and we can find healing. And so that there's a word that I've been using a lot, if you've been paying attention over the course of the past few minutes, connected to father and connected with home, and that is the word of the concept child. So we think of the idea of a father, who it is the father's house. He creates the home along with the mother. We are children. That's our essential identity. And so if we really want to come to grow in prayer and come to really know the love of the father and to be ushered into the father's house, we need to be willing to claim our identity as children. Remember, a child, doesn't matter how old the child is, it could be 50 years old, 10 years old, 20 years old, by the very relationship with the parents, that individual is a child. And so Jesus was the greatest child. He was the son of God. And he was able to speak so beautifully about being a child, as, as one great theologian of the 20th century said, because of his deep experience, because of his deep experience of being a child in relationship to the father. And so for me, if we are going to be able to, in prayer, come to find rest, to come to just learn to be able to be and to rest, it's going to be essential that we practice the spiritual or spiritual childhood, to engage in that practice of spiritual childhood. There's so much that has been written on this, most of it sort of being rooted in the teaching and the thought and the spirituality of St. Therese of Lisieux. 
and this I'm given whole retreats on this as I think I mentioned before there's one that I gave for the sisters on perfectionism and spiritual childhood we become children as I mentioned before because of our baptism God is our father and we become his adopted sons and daughters but whenever we sin whenever the shame and the walls come up we move into the shadows we move away from him and so St. Therese's great message in her little way is that, yes, we are children, we're small, we're weak, we are going to fall, we are going to mess up, but we've got to, we've got to realize that God is our Father, and that we have to have this radical trust, this radical confidence in Him, that He's a loving Father, that He's not going to judge us or condemn us. Now, of course, her concept of this was formed in a great deal by her own earthly father, who was a saint. And we've got to be able to run to him or run to him in running to Jesus instead of going in the other direction, knowing, believing that the Father knows our heart. He knows we're trying to do the right thing. And so when we fail, he's not there to condemn us. It's not always a challenge. We should be able to run into his arms in order to receive his mercy and receive his love. And so that's the, the, the real glory of spiritual childhood. The child lets herself be loved, to, to be held and to rest in the arms of the Father. I always use this as sort of that great image of prayer. I imagine a picture of a father in his arms holding a little bitty baby. And the father's looking at the child's eyes, and the child is looking back at the father's eyes, and the child and the father are both smiling greatly. This is what prayer is. At its essence, at its core, the child offers nothing to the father. The child can't do anything. It can't give the father anything. But the father delights in his, the child's very being. And this is something I want you to understand, that not only does the Father love us and desire us to rest in his home, to rest in his embrace, but he delights in us. He not only loves us, but he likes us. That our very existence, showing up at his door, brings tremendous delight to his heart, and he wants to embrace us. As the father of the prodigal son, he ran out to meet his son. Why? Not to judge and condemn him even though he was sinful, even though he turned his back on him, even though he betrayed him, because he delighted the presence of his son. And so prayer is that ability to go and to say, Lord, I'm here, I'm disheveled, I'm sinful, I'm all over the place, I'm distracted, I don't feel worthy, but I want to allow you to delight in me. I want you to give me good things. And we may not experience anything, and there are plenty of times when we're with our, 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 our family or we're with our friends and we don't experience anything, but you never know. Maybe the father sort of slipped a $20 bill into our jacket. And we're all going to find it two weeks later. We still want to go simply to rejoice in his presence, but in a great deal more important to allow him to rejoice in our presence and in our being. That's the essence of what prayer is. And if we allow shame or our own perfectionism or our own false concepts of who God is or who prayer is, 
impact us, then we're never going to really be able to enter into the embrace and the rest, the transformation that we should experience in the Father's house. Now, a few reflections. These are ones I gave at a Lenten mission on prayer is, is letting yourself be loved. The child lets himself be loved by the Father. The child's too weak. The child can't resist. The child doesn't fight back. The child just allows himself to be loved. The child has no desire or ability to control the situation. So often we hesitate to allow ourselves to be loved because we want to have some modicum of control. Because if we let go of our grasp, then guess what? We're vulnerable. Who knows where we will be led? And we feel like the St. Therese talks about, and Pope Francis did it as Irby at Arby recently, we feel like, you know, we're in that boat and it's being shaken up. Um, where is Jesus? No, we've got to let go of control and allow the Lord, even when he appears to be sleeping, to be in control. One of the reasons that childhood and spiritual childhood is so important and what allows a child to develop is the second thought, is the fact that the child in the father's arms or in the father's gaze feels safe and secure. There could be all kinds of threats out there, but he knows the father's watching. He knows that he's all right. And so as a result, the child is able to be secure. And as a result, to be able to be free, free to rejoice, free to play, free to be himself. And we see this in children who grow up to be tremendously insecure as a result of their family of origins. They don't really know true freedom, but a child is supposed to be free. A child is supposed to play. And so prayer, if we believe and trust in the Father, can even be seen not as a time of work, not as a time of achievement, but as a time of play, a time of recreation, a time of leisure, and even wasting time knowing that the Father is watching us. And of course, as you probably figured, we understand childhood and what it means to be a child through the lens of the home. The home. The child is not an orphan. The child knows the father's love. The child is able to know his or her identity as son and daughter. And it's in that home that the child experiences safety, love, tenderness, and is able to be formed, not just in the physical place, because there are plenty of people who go home and there's chaos and there's fighting and arguing, but indeed that home is in the loving heart of God the Father. And so through that formation, there's no shame. There's a great trust in the Father. So if indeed the child makes a mistake, hey, Dad, I made a mistake. Can you help me? Knowing the Father is not going to judge, but instead going to embrace it takes a lot of vulnerability, but that is the core of what it means to be a child. To be exposed, yes, to danger, as Jesus was in the flight to Egypt, but also to the loving and tender embrace. And so, the more that we come to live in the, the, the embrace of the Father, allow ourselves to be loved, to, to know his heart, the heart of Christ is our home where we encounter the love of the Father, the more we are going to be secure in our identity and the more that we're going to be able to, in our own hearts, and our own lives, create a place of safety 
and security for other people. The child allows himself to be received, and therefore, the heart of the child then can become a home for others. The child, or the one living spiritual childhood, is able to receive the other person, to welcome them into their home, to be able to give, give the gift, to communicate, to mediate the gift that had been given to them. And so that brings us, sort of wrapping up this talk, and segue into our final talk. So we understand the heart is a home. We understand how we are formed in the heart of Christ, where we encounter the Father, that being that, that gateway to heaven, the gateway to the Father's embrace, and how prayer is about learning to rest in the heart of the Father, to be with him, that if we allow him to then love us, his love expands our hearts. It transforms our hearts. It, it, it adds on those extra rooms. It turns a two-bedroom apartment into a mansion. It purifies us, as we talked about, that a pure love transforms our hearts and thus makes our hearts ready and capable as homes to welcome and to receive others. In my experience, the people who are best able to do that are the people who, who have the most welcoming and loving hearts, are the ones who have allowed themselves to be loved and know God as their Father and can find a home there. So, but we're going we're gonna to look at that tomorrow in our last talk, but I'll give you a little homework for tonight. First and most simply, look at your prayer. Is your prayer more about being and doing? Are you often discouraged because you're not achieving the goals you wanted? Or is instead learning to just be with the Lord? What is your concept or understanding or experience of prayer? Number two, very, very important, what is your concept of God? How do you envision God? Is he a loving father? Is he some sort of a, a distant individual, some sort of a numinous reality or is he even a tyrant or a coach or someone who's there ready to judge us? And how does that influence or impact your own concept of who you are and what prayer is? And then finally, do you know and understand yourself as a child in relationship with the Father? Are you continuously grasping for control or allowing yourself to just be embraced and to rest in the heart, in the home of the Father? So... Lots to pray about, lots to think about. We're going to hope to bring it all home tomorrow. Know that I am and have been praying for you. And we'll close with the glory be. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. God bless. Good night.